by the grace of God, I pray to live with the wind in my face, the road under my feet, love in my heart, Jesus on my lips, and an outstretched hand to a stranger. I love God and I love people and I try to keep it simple. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Dig News Streams podcast. I'm your host, Dave Capozzi. This week, I welcome my friend, Judy Howard-Peterson. Judy is a public pastor and theologian who once spent a year of her life walking across the United States. That year, her hope was to make a reasonable run at learning how to walk with God and how to walk with whomever was placed in her path. And for the most part, this is what she's been trying to do ever since. As a pastor of two different congregations, an international speaker, the chaplain of a university, and now through the nonprofit that she founded called Hexeatas Inc. Hexeity is a philosophy that holds that each and every living thing is a once in eternity, irreplaceable, unrepeatable act of God. And the mission of Hexeatas Inc. is to walk with others in such a way that they come to believe this is not only about themselves but also about all of the people who are placed in their path. Judy is a gift to the world and to me, and I'm certain you'll feel the same way after hearing a little bit from her. If you would like to keep up with the podcast, subscribe to whatever platform you're using to listen right now, and you can find a consistent conversation happening over on TikTok if you search for my name, Dave Capozzi, and on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Dig New Streams Podcast. Without further ado my conversation with Judy Howard-Peterson. In a lovely way, I, way back from when I walked across the United States, I am, I am meeting somebody in a moment of time, and I am engaging with them as they present themselves to me Hmm. and as I present myself to them I I mean I can I can know someone might have been really awful um, to somebody else 20 minutes ago but actually the fact that I didn't know that and I could just um, receive them as they are Hmm. um, sometimes allows them to say I was just really awful and I'm like why and you can have a conversation and so some of like the I want the same thing let's be as the reformer said, semper reformandi, always being reformed. I don't mm. want to be judged constantly by what I just did, but no. I do want you to judge me by who I'm becoming yeah. and how I'm living out who I say I am. And so again, I have lots of friends and colleagues, you do too, that have MDivs and yeah. PhDs and demons. And and I, I truthfully, they're really smart. Yes. And would I want somebody to... Um, follow after their life. Like the apostle Paul said, follow after me after I follow after Christ. I'd be like, Hey, they've got some great ideas, but don't follow them. Mm. And so I, I'm more interested in having not so great ideas, but having a life worth following. Oh, that's <laughs> and, so, um, so that's, that's for me. That's I the prayer. That. That's that intro is like, is it that simple? Like, can I, be walking towards the spirit, the wind in my face, the road under my feet, something solid, um, love mm. in my heart, Jesus on my lips, and an outstretched hand to a stranger. Can I love God and can I love people and not let it get complicated? Yes. Um, 
Yes. That's important you, to me. Thanks for that, Judy. I It makes me think about way back in 2019, uh, when I was pastoring through a difficult time and right not long before I, I stopped pastoring, I was preaching through this series on the wilderness and discovered over time through the help of some study alongside of a rabbi that life is wilderness. While the scriptures talk about, you know, post Egypt and Jesus walks in the wilderness before sort you know, to be tempted and all that sort of stuff. It's like, there's this never, there's this never like before beginning middle at during after it's just life is this constant wandering and figuring out and we're all doing that and this posture that you're proposing of just kind of meeting each other in that way without this confidence that you have figured out the wilderness and someone else hasn't um while you may have walked a, a bit of a ways and someone can glean some wisdom and find value in what you're offering and set you can point to some water sources and some food like you don't have like a degree doesn't mean i mastered the wilderness <laughs> <laughs> well what what does that even mean i just heard of some like massive climber that just died on this like yeah. really complicated climb you know but they're in the wilderness and the wilderness can take out anybody and yes and people that are completely unprepared sometimes do better because they don't know what they're up against and That's and so, so i you know, because they don't have all these preconceived motion, notions and fears. But I, I do think there is an interesting balance between, um, you know, I took this, let me say, I, I took this class back when I was in seminary called Wilderness and Faith. And mm. it was like so lovely. It was a um, a two week like practitioner sort of class. You, We went up to the boundary waters of northern Minnesota and um, wow. Phil Anderson and Jim Bruckner co-taught it. And the, we did like seven days or five days. I can't remember several days of like uh, classroom study at this local church um, where we talked about all of the sort of like wilderness theology, all the way from um, theology surrounding the biblical text and then to like ecology and mm. um, creation care and all that. We kind of looked at that, but we talked a lot about how um, strange it is that um that the wilderness was painted in such a um, harsh, scary, bad, devastating way, which if you were a per person during the biblical times and you were in unprotected area, it was scary. I mean, no. you didn't, you didn't have a cell phone, you know, you didn't have, there's no like Google maps, you know, you just, you're just out there. And, um, but that, that theology then like, surpassed people's rational thinking yeah. and so we kept that theology of like this fear where if you actually read the text the places where the people of god experienced god the most experienced god's provision the most experienced the most true parts of their identity like it says in nehemiah as soon as they were at rest they had, again did evil in god's sight like some of their more like close or connected to themselves places and connected to God. We're in the wilderness. Mm. And yet we demonize the wilderness mm. rather than like, okay, yeah, it was scary for them, but look at all the good stuff. <laughs> but oh. we kind of forget that. And, yes. and I think, man, some of the richest experiences I've had in life have both been in the actual wilderness. Um, and it's, it's clarifying. I, again, I know for me way back decades ago, but sitting on the side of the road, three feet from where you just peed, eating a piece of cheese out of a baggie, you don't really care about 
too much about the person that comes and finds you there. You're like, oh my God, a yes. friend. How are you in the wilderness? So in some ways, mm. it 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 isn't like having a house and having all your structure makes you think you can be real selective in your companionship as well. Yeah. Where, where I feel like when you spend time in the wilderness and if you're all alone there, you're like, oh my gosh, we would not vote the same. But anyway, <laughs> how are you doing? I, I've, I've missed having someone to talk to. <laughs> and so I don't know. It's just, I, I don't, I, the wilderness has become such a gift and grace. Mm-hmm. I feel sad that people make it be like that they speak derogatorily about it you know um yes. it's like they're using the wilderness name in vain <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> well as like as like the walking pastor you're essentially a pastor in the wilderness that's like what you do yeah. you know and i i mean when we met i believe you were still a chaplain yeah. um at north park and you would travel everywhere you were doing i think i just met you at like youth conferences or you were speaking at someone's church nearby and I feel like you've always sort of had this um, grounding, groundedness, but like ability to transcend the boundaries because you were operating within this like evangelical covenant framework until they wouldn't let you anymore, you know, <laughs> um, but, or, you know, you can share a little bit about that if you want to. But what I'm interested in, especially with this podcast was started around is what does faith or justice or spirituality or any of that or a combination of it look like after the institutionalism of it. And you kind of embody that. And you were talking to me about your good faith conversations and your community Mm. and, and how that all developed. And I just am curious what sort of life and faith and spirituality look like or what that experience is like for you after, because so many people are looking for that right now. Yeah. You know, we, we've mentioned, and you know this, and probably people that listen to you are quite aware, but, the, you know, the exodus from the institutional church is, in the U.S. context, is 41 million have left in the last 20 years. So, for, and 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 some of those have left a faith um, paradigm entirely. They would say, I think it's all bunk. And, yeah. and like, I get that. I do. Yeah. I've had my own wrestlings with, you know, is, is Jesus just some archetype? Somebody is like, we need some sort of prototype to follow. Like, let's craft this story, you yeah. know? And, and so, so I have in my prayer times, I'm like, okay, listen, if you're all just bunk, if I'm talking to myself and I'm just a master of self-deception, <laughs> I'm still saying, this is the model I want to follow. Yeah. And so for me, like, that's how I've lived in the integrity of the who the heck even really knows? I've had experiences. I haven't had the need, felt the need to question if they were actually divine because believing they were has borne good fruit of love and patience and justice and mercy. And so those things that bear good fruit, I don't feel the need to question them. I question <laughs> the things that are bearing bitter fruit. Uh, and I don't care if, if they're bearing bitter fruit because you're in the wilderness and you're doing deconstruction and you're absolutely bitter. I don't want to be that. And so like, I'm going to question your stuff there too. But if the church is bearing bitter fruit, I'll question any of that. And I'll question it twice on Sunday. You know, like (laughs) I don't, (laughs) so I don't, but it is for me living in the wilderness, I think, and living outside the institution has allowed me to really ask that question Mm. and be honest about it. Not is this theology, um, provable or do I have an apologetic for it? But does this um, applied over time actually get me where I want to go down the road? Does it actually um, 
move in me in a way that makes me more good to my neighbor, more just to the, those who have experienced injustice? Does it do that? And and I know, you know, I make up words all the time. And so if people I end up it. following me, they'll find that I, I love words. And, um, but I, I call it the discipline of fruition, the spiritual discipline of fruition. Mm. And, and, um, it is, I just think about a thought and I'm like, Ooh, I love this thought. And I think, okay, if I thought about this thought or I let this thought think me over time, would it bear the fruit that looks like my archetype, the life of Jesus? Yeah. And if it wasn't, if it doesn't, I just like try not to think that thought anymore or try wow. not to let that thought think me. It's not complicated. I don't care if I can find a Bible verse to back <laughs> it. If it doesn't bear the fruit that would make me walk like Jesus walked, then yeah. I just dismiss it out of hand. And people will say like, well, you got to take the Bible seriously. I'm like, well, you all got to take the Bible seriously. You ain't <laughs> doing half of it, you know? So again, I don't think the end goal is for me to look like the Bible. I don't think that's the end goal. The end goal for me, my teleology, my hope is that I that would, if Jesus returns, and I have some anxiety about that too, but if Jesus <laughs> returns, you know, would he say, oh my gosh, you look like me. You know, we don't know what we'll yeah. look like when he comes back, but we know we'll look like him. Like, would he be like, oh, there's my kid. I, good job. Um, nice. You're making yeah. a reasonable run. You know, for me, that's my metric. I always say to my still evangelical friends and family that I hope Jesus comes back. I hope that the Jesus that we learn about, the one that was uh, um, speaking out against systems of oppression, I hope that person steps onto the scene and makes things right. We got, we know that we're in the midst of quite a lot. And I, so I guess I wonder now when you talk about the Bible, the way you, you do, when you talk about faith, the way you do, I've been asking this question to people recently, and I just am curious what you think of it. When you hear the word Christian, what do you, what does that mean to you? Well, I like everybody probably and who's outside the cult. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I feel a little flinchy, you know, that's how I feel. I want, I want to say, tell me more, you know? And so, uh, you know, I, because I think you can identify as a Christian, as in a belief, yeah. or you can identify as a Christian, as a practice of being a Christ follower. And, and you can identify as someone who's following Christ believing that that is somehow like just holy and pure and set apart yes. from anything in the world. Or you can be practicing that as somebody who's like, um, not afraid of becoming unclean. Um, um, and that accusation, like, so I kind of always want to say, tell me more because yeah. I, I think there's lots of people who in good faith identify as Christians in all sorts of iterations that I I'm not, I don't have an affinity for, mm. but they're not causing harm. Yeah, they, they just are not, in my opinion, it feels flat or it feels two dimensional or it feels like there could be more. Yeah. But if you're not causing harm, like, awesome. I feel as though the, the word Christian, even right now, um, you know, in the name of a Christian nation, we're backing a genocide that's yeah. unfolding in right. in Gaza. And, um, you know, I've been to several churches in the last 60 days and uh not even in the prayers of the people. I was like, we just pray for conflict in this world. I'm like, I'm watching, I'm watching kids try to dig their parents out from the rubble. I'm watching parents try to hold the bodies of their children together so they can bury them in an honorable way. And I'm, I'm watching um, 
Christians and rabbis put their names and blessings on missiles um, in Israel, you know, like that this is some sort of divine plan. If you're saying Christian in terms of it could bear that fruit, I'm not interested. Call me, I'll I'll change faith. I renounce it. Yes. Um, I I don't have a, if God is good, um, God will understand my renouncement. Um, (laughs) Of a religion that, of a religion. Yeah. that wants violence or yes. that would, would that would would feel fine or indifferent or um would prefer the some interpretation of the biblical text rather than um putting the world back together you know yeah. i i don't i don't i would renounce that kind of christianity and i would do it publicly and i would yes. have no problem with it and i would plead my case before god which yes. i often say <laughs> people people say oh when i get before jesus you know, then we'll see how this all plays out. I'm like, why don't you just stand before Jesus right now? You know, like, what are you, what are you waiting for? You know, like have the conversation. And I think, you know, if you are facilitating that conversation regularly, you'll know if God is like, oh yeah, that's not me. And yeah. I, I think, I believe that. And, and, but again, if, if, if I get place myself before what's divine yeah. and, um, uh, and if that divine does look like Christ, and which that's my particular, I've chosen to believe that. Yep. Then when I stand there before Jesus and she's like, you know, Judy, I really, I really did want the bombing. And I, I really did want gay people excluded from the church. And I really did want um, women to be silent. And I, I really liked the poor around and I, you know, like I white supremacy, woo, you know, <laughs> like I really liked all that. I'd be like, man, you really gaslighty in that text, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you, I don't know, but something got lost in translation there because I think you said you were coming to set the captives free. Like the Prince of Peace, good news, a great joy for all people. Like, um, anyway, (laughs) you know, I don't want to spend eternity with you because you seem really off and not in touch with what's coming out of your mouth. Mm. You know, so I I don't. (laughs) So for me, I'm, I, Mm. I'm not, I don't want to spend eternity with that God. People are like, you're going to get yeah. now. Do I'm like, I listen. I'll be smited. Really I'll be up. smited by that God. Fine. Yeah. You know, I'm curious because you bring up a lot of things there that a lot of people, those 41 million or more mm-hmm. in, increasing reject outright for good reason. Right. We, we were yeah, saying yeah. this when we were in the institution, like we agree, you reject this thing for good reason. When you talk about that thing that causes people to leave, or when you identify it or see what's going on, we, you know, the term being thrown around is deconstruction. I know you have a different yep. term for that, but I'm excited <laughs> yep. for you to share with people. I wonder if what you notice a lot is that what people picked up along the way, along their journey through this institution of imperial Christianity, is this um, sort of cursory overview that was we take the thing that we receive and don't do the seminary we don't go into the depths of studying the text and find how frequent the hebrew prophets moses jesus like how consistent this message that you just described in terms of the character of the divine that you worship and seek to emulate is and the thing people are rejecting are all the things that we're like yeah of course we reject that as well so i wonder Mm -hmm. if you can sort of talk about maybe some experiences you've had or thoughts you have around 
what the other word for deconstruction is and the good things that people might have missed um, and that they're rejecting all the wrong, all the things that weren't a part of this faith that we want to sort of live into anyway. So here, here again, this goes back a little bit to the discipline of fruition somewhere along the way, pretty early on. Um, I think that many, most indoctrination, um, does some work to separate you from yourself. Hmm. And so it, it says, this is true, even if it's not believable, this is, um, true, even if it feels false, um, this isn't violent, even if it's causing you trauma, like somewhere along the way. Um, and again, I can speak for the Christian tradition. We, you know, we were told to beat our bodies and make it a slave that we're totally depraved that, you know, that our soul, we were really kind of more Gnostic. Our soul is more valuable than our bodies. And so we kind of separated ourselves from that. And so then when we, we actually had a gut feeling or we were like, you know, this is kind of messed up that, that um, everybody who doesn't believe exactly like me is going to like burn for eternity. That feels wrong. Like I knew that was off. Yeah. When I was in grade school, yeah. you know, in, in grade school, I, I know where I was. I, I was on highway 55, right near the grain elevators in Minneapolis. And I told my mom, are you telling me? I was like, grade school, maybe fourth or fifth grade. You're telling me that everybody else in the whole world is going to hell. I could not <laughs> wow. wrap my mind around that, except then I just stayed in the church. And then pretty soon it just becomes like, well, we don't know, you know, but what we know is if you want to be not there, if you want to be in the good place, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And so I think indoctrination separates us from our bodies. And so I just wish that hadn't happened because yes. I think then some of where we're at right now, we would have been calling into question some of these things more vociferously in mass along mm. the way. And then, you know, either, either the, pastors would have kicked all of us out and we all would have just created another denomination. That's what you do, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or we all, we all would have left and said, this is not this tradition as it is, is not redemptive. We're going to go seek a new revelation. But I think we would have done that. But anyway, I think so much of this is happening. And I think we're we're kind of, I think I shouldn't say, I think some people are really also angry with themselves. Like, how did I fall for that for so long? And so some of it is some of our own, um, I can say this around, um, I'll say this around inclusion, although I am a, um, I I think, or I'm trying to be a decent ally in the world of um, LGBTQI2S plus advocacy and celebration, admiration, um, learning from, I'm seeking to do that well, but I feel late to the game or Mm. I was like super before I became, before I entered seminary, I had a lot of friends who identified as queer. Then I went to seminary. I was like, well, you know, and I started trying to like live in that tension sort of, and I, I tried to live in that tension for too long. And, and the truth is, is when I, 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 I was like, this is, what are we doing? Mm. I was partly angry at myself. And because we don't know even how to be gracious with ourselves, and then yeah. we have to project that just on the institution. Yes. Listen, we are the institution. We were the institution. Right. And and we should own that. Yes. Um, and 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 just because we came to a place where we don't align it with it anymore, listen, we're not not complicit. We should figure out how do we graciously want to deal with our own complicity 
graciously deal with the fact that we didn't get that for a while because mm. it does allow us then to be gracious with those who are where we used to be or yes. who we used to be. But I do think some of our inability to our righteous indignation is sometimes misplaced mm. because we're not that righteous <laughs> and we haven't been indignant with ourselves yet. Right. And yeah. so, you know, I think when we start there, then we can do this differently. Anyway, all that to say now, I don't like the word deconstruction, <laughs> even though I like common words that are understandable. And so people use that now, like, Ooh, it's a deconstruction space. I'm a deconstruction coach. I'm whatever, like, and, it, and it's supposed to mean, um, Hey, or I'm a decolonization, which I think we should do more, um, and not stop at deconstruction, which is very white. It's a very white lane, Amen. but, but it means like, Hey, I'm just, tearing apart everything that I was, I had that, that was wrongly built. Yeah. Not bad to do, but right. I do think it's a very male, um, uh, men built the institution and now they're going to bulldoze it. And so the mm. deconstruction space can be so male and the only images like we have are like, yeah, building and bulldozing versus or building and bombing or fighting and, raising or whatever you know and i i want to i just believe there's more generative words and so for me i've chosen the word composting and although i have left the institution of the church more recently i've been composting my faith for 25 years uh, because after i consume mm. the fruit of something and the fruit it's no longer fruitful then i throw away the peel and the rind and i feel i'm not mad at the fruit and the rind it held something for a while but i'm not gonna like keep all my pits and stems around you know forever they just were the delivery vehicle for a fruitful thing and now they're not useful anymore so i put them in my compost pile i know they'll break down and then they'll come up and add life to other things but i don't have to be so angry i just yeah. have to like put it on the compost pile like i i've been doing that and for me a lot of it began with grief um that when i started experiencing some um, repetitive personal loss some of my formulas that I had preached, that I had proclaimed, that I'd underlined in my own text started to fall really flat. Mm. And I had to decide, well, am I going to keep the formula or am I going to compost that formula and see what other life could come from it yeah. if I don't have to hang on to that formula anymore? Yes. And so for me, you know, this sort of for me it was around fertility. Mm. And and but this sort of process of saying, you know, like if you're faithful, you get to have a kid, you mm. know, because this is kind of the 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 Hebrew narrative, like every woman who's infertile that wants a child, if she's faithful, gets to have a child. Yep. And um and and so when that's after 10, 11 losses for me, I'm like, okay, well, as I'm preaching and leading people to the Lord and trying to be faithful, and yet this is not working yeah. in that way. You know, I had to kind of go like, well, I'm going to keep that theology and preach that. Or am I going to actually go back to the text and say, you know, what's interesting is is um, Elizabeth is the last person in the biblical text who prayed for a child and was old and hadn't had one and got one. Hmm. The mother of John the Baptist. And yeah. after that. Fertility isn't even mentioned in the New Testament, right. biological fertility, right. because that's not what we're doing anymore. That was a, a narrative that worked for a nomadic people who needed numbers in or, order to know that God was with them. And so 
flocks and herds and grapes and land and grain and cattle. Like this was the language of being prosperous. Mm. But in, in, in the, when Jesus comes, he's like, he didn't get married. I don't know. Paul's not married according to well, Da Vinci code, but anyway, <laughs> I, I mean, but technically these people were like, we're not um, having sex and making babies as the proclamation to God. Yes. We're actually going to live in a fruit bearing way. And so this sort of like new Testament fertility looks very different than old Testament fertility. But so when I started giving myself permission to compost that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm New Testament fertile. I didn't miss out. I'm in perfect alignment. In fact, yeah. a lot of my friends who are Old Testament fertile are missing out on the message of Christ because they can't take in the homeless because they're kids. They can't give away their money because they're kids. They can't like be kind to a stranger because they're kids. You know, so so actually I'm I'm more free to be New Testament fertile. This isn't so composting that was just fruitful. Yeah, And so I, I think yeah. that process for me yeah. is, is I'm not so angry about it, but I am honest about when something isn't fruitful anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, when well, I'm going to get rid of that. That's so healthy. And I would say is one of the reasons why it's so important for people to have someone to guide them in a pastoral way along this journey, because there is so much pain that comes with realizing that your worldview was not only harmful to you, but the world, that it yes. is the source of so much oppression. Um, and so there is righteous anger that comes with that, not towards, I mean, it's it, it will be directed at people and ultimately the institution. But this thing that you're describing, this friend of mine um, that's a rabbi says that, and she didn't um, make up this saying, but that everything is grist for the mill. Yeah. You know, that this just everything is useful for learning and growth. And if you have someone who has has gone through the journey the way you have, then that that sort of guidance isn't necessary. It allows for that space of anger, frustration, mourning, all the things we have to do with something that we've lost that was deeply meaningful to us. Um, and then use it for our growth. And that composting, mm -hmm. to me, it makes so much more sense. It depatriarchifies. <laughs> the whole process of of unlearning this system that we all internalized. Uh, that's beautiful. I love it. I do think that one of the practices that is that makes that sort of work possible is that, you know, you can, as again, as we're seeing in Gaza, you can or in the occupied West Bank as they bulldoze homes, yep. you know, you can bulldoze a home in an afternoon, but composting is a long process. Yes, it is. And so I think we prefer bulldozing. We prefer deconstruction because it's it's more efficient. Yes. And I think composting is requiring a long game. Mm. And that, um, again, we're not that good at that. And, and um, I read this quote once that 20 years ago, um, the author of the book was Oppenheimer, um, not the one with the <laughs> nuclear bomb, but um, he was a... Um, I think it was called flickering mind, but it was, he was talking about the introduction of technology into education. And, um, but he said that knowledge can be gained in sound bites and glances, mm. but intelligence requires a sustained look in one direction. Yeah. And we're about to become the most, a most knowledgeable, least intelligent generation that's ever walked the face of the earth. Yes. And so I, I do think that, um, and I would maybe say wisdom instead of intelligence, yeah, for sure. But, 
but if you look at philosophers, if you look at theologians, if you look at mystics, what they have done is they have they have um, looked in the same direction over time. They have composted things over time, and then it's been fruitful. And and we're big into like, you know, I got I gotta post something for. I got to have the the hit, you know, I got to do the thing I got to, And I'm like, okay, well, what's the long-term fruit of that work? And yeah. so again, I, I think composting is difficult because you're entrusting something to an unknown process. You don't know how it breaks down and you don't know what it's going to become. And I think deconstruction, sometimes it feels like, well, at least we have control over this, mm. you know? And, and I think again, it requires a little more trust in the long game, for me, a little more trust in that, that the long game is redemptive. Um, and so I'm able to go like, yeah, I I don't, I don't know. That's, I can't do that anymore. What's it going to become? I don't know yet. Right. Versus saying, and this is what it has to be now. I don't know. (laughs) Who knows what it's going to (laughs) be, but I am, no, I'm not going to keep around that peel in that rind anymore. And so I guess we'll just see what happens. (laughs) Oh, that's so, so good. Yeah, I lo- I love that language. I'm I will be using it and citing Judy Howard Peterson always when I do. <laughs> you don't uh, need to cite me. I always make it your own. That would be my. But yeah, if you ever get any, if you ever get any like kickbacks from it, then 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 I'll put me. it on you. That wasn't me. No, 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 not my idea. Well, on the other side, I guess I wonder, as someone. This is so difficult, but as somebody who was part of the institution the way that you were. And um, who always, you were always yourself from my perspective. It didn't seem to me like you, when I met you, that you were in any way compromising your beliefs or or your integrity to stay within the system. Um, my experience was that you operated in freedom and that freedom became too much for this system that, that actually said that freedom was something that was important to us. But, you know, that's a different story. Um, do you find yourself to be more free? on the other side of it to be the pastor or the spiritual teacher that you have feel called to, or did you, have you felt that way and the institution just wasn't able to sustain that or keep, keep you in there? That's a good, that's a good question. I, I I like to think that I've been, uh, I mean, that, that there's a very strong through line for me that, Mm -hmm. you know, the threads, like anybody who met me now would be like, Oh, you're, this is totally who you are. Yes. This is who, who I knew you to be 25 years ago. Mm. And um, I, I think most people would find a pretty consistent through line. Yeah. Um, that's part of my Enneagram eight, you know, so okay. that there is a, um, if you follow that stuff, like, but there is, and I feel like a well-resourced Enneagram eight, mm. but I'm able to kind of like um, play a little zone defense. You know, I don't necessarily let people shoot over me. I kind of make my shots. Yeah. You know, and I don't yeah. feel bad sticking my elbows out and throwing a few. <laughs> do it, right? Coach put me on the floor in this position. I'm going to play it, you know? Yeah. So I I feel like That's I'm good. able to kind of hold that space and have been probably most of my life. But I do think part of, um, part of what was uncomfortable for the institution is that I didn't believe myself to be a static entity. Hmm. Like who I was when I was 29, when they first started platforming me, I hope I'm not still the same person now at 53 mm. that I continued 
to move into the into those spaces that were already there, mm. but I continued to apply them to a greater degree. I became more consistent. I became I began to know more of myself and more of the world. And so if you are saying the same things at 53 that you did at 29, like, mm. what are you doing? Right. You mean you, you learn nothing about God or about people or about yourself? You, you, you got the same tagline for that long? I, I, I think there were some consistent things, but they became more fleshed out yeah. as they should. They became more universally applied, which I hope they do. Mm. Um, uh, and, and so that, and I think that became then uncomfortable because, you know, the, the church loved my stories of like the person I met on the side of the road and, and who I pastored and, and, and saved or what do they love that yeah. when I started going like, actually, I think they saved me. Mm, right. Yes. Then they're like, wait a minute. Our colonial mm -hmm. missional work doesn't work as well if they have things to teach us. Right. And so as I began to like, it's the same story, but I, as I lived the story, realized like, actually, I think all those people rescued me. Yeah, that that's then, beautiful. That's so, beautiful. You know, I, I talked to another couple, uh, this is a while ago, they're close friends of mine, but I've always wondered, and I don't know if you have, about how someone goes to another country or a place that experiences extreme poverty or something, and they remain the same. Sort of, you know, I've met a number of missionaries. I, I remember going to Haiti and this couple was there for 30 years. They couldn't speak the language to save their life. And they lived on a compound. They seemed unmoved by the plight of the people. I've always wondered how that person can exist and how you can exist. And I think I get it now. I think that you go out into the world saying, I know that there's something that I have, but I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. It seems good and beautiful. I'm going to go out and do that. There's a difference between that and going and being confident that you have all of the truth and that you're going to provide it for someone, right? Yeah. There is there is yeah. a colonization and then there is a wonder. There is the wilderness and then there is Wall Street. You know, it's just like there is this thing that you are offering people that is much more open and beautiful and give and take. That's not always possible in the system that we necessarily came from. Right. And because I, I think colonization requires that we're not curious. And so you have to cut mm. off your curiosity and colonization. It's the price of admission sort of thing. And so for me, like I'm endlessly curious. And, you know, if you go shopping with me, you're like, <laughs> don't touch everything. Like I'm I want to know how everything feels. <laughs> I am you know, I come home with rocks and sticks still in my pocket. I'm 53 and I'm um, I'm. I'm like, look at this wing from this bird. You know, there was a post about that last week because I was like, what happens when you find the wing, but you can't find the bird? Mm. You know, like what happens when things are dismembered and you don't have enough thread to repair it? Like, how do you live in that space? And so that wing, you know, teaches me, but I'm endlessly curious. And that is probably the product of when, well, that's product of my mother. Um, my mother was, she was turning over every stone and asking us to look deeper at stuff. She was a teacher mm -hmm. and she loved learning. And yeah. so um, we didn't have much money as a kid. We were, my, my parents were divorced. Um, 
real young. And so, but when, so when we would go on road trips, we would camp number one, but this was, I mean, this back in the seventies and you didn't, you couldn't like download anything. There was no like Googling (laughs) anything, but so she would ride ahead to the chamber of commerces at every place we were going to (laughs) go. And she would get these like pamphlets and then she would um we would go to coal mines and maple sugar factories every free tour you could go to we went on every free tour and then she would create these like little um games where we would during the day she'd be like you're gonna try to find the answers to these 10 things on road trips you know but handwritten right not even you don't have a computer and a printer she's handwriting these little things with little boxes and so like she was endlessly curious but then when i did walk across the united states no headphones no cell phone just me yeah i it became and I've joked about this, but I was going to memorize the whole Bible at a year. <laughs> I could memorize the whole Bible, but I began to realize, you know, you can't walk on the shoulder of the road and have your head stuck in a book because you're going to get hit by a car or you're going to fall in a ditch. So you, you actually have to learn how to read the presence of God in what's going on around you, the larger Christ soaked world. You're going to have to read God that way and if you do that 20 miles a day for a year and four days you at least have a foundation to work from and so that sort of like fully present like oh look at this guardrail what could it mean in my life look at this animal that's dismembered that i can't put back together what does that mean even if i found all the pieces i couldn't give it life what does that mean Hmm. look at this tree that used to be magnificent somebody cut it down in a day and cut it in pieces what does that mean you know, look at this human uh, un, 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 under this bridge with me who is giving me a sandwich. Um, what does this mean? Um, look at this person who knows nothing about faith, but they pulled over in um, the Bible belt, but but the Christians are not pulling over. What does it mean? You know, I'm I'm learning to read God in that. And I had the privilege of that mm. for a year to foundationally. So on top of my mom writing mm. to the Chamber of Commerce, you know, I have this really gracious beginning of my faith journey that yeah. that that forced me to put down the book and read the world. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope this conversation inspired some new thoughts or questions within you. Until next time, peace, my friends.